I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel, where I now post slightly longer video versions. Parents, as usual, all scripture this week comes from the MTV, which is the Miss Tyler version. And that's the Christian Standard Bible tweaked a bit or sometimes a lot to make it easier for kids to understand the content and the context without having to read an entire chapter or even whole book of the Bible every single week. So this week we're in Genesis, again, uh, still in Genesis 15. So these are verses 7 through 11. God also said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give the land of Canaan to you. But Abram said, Lord God, how can I know that it will belong to me? God said to Abram, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old male sheep, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all of these animals to God cut them in half and laid the pieces opposite each other, but Abram did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the dead bodies of the birds and animals, but Abram kept chasing them away. If you're scratching your head, you aren't alone. What the heck did Abram do that for, you know, in the middle of the night? Is he just trying to attract every wild animal, bird, beast, and insect within 20 miles? Now, you know the answer if you read my Covenants curriculum book, but if you haven't, then you actually aren't that much more confused than a lot of Bible scholars were just 150 years ago. I talk about cuneiform tablets a lot, and those are the baked clay tablets that saved important writings from the time of Abram and Sarai. Well, something amazing was discovered in one of them that changed the way that Bible scholars read Genesis 15 forever. In them, they found proof of a special kind of covenant where two people made a very important commitment to each other. They would actually take farm animals, kill them quickly, and then they would actually cut them in half and place the halves apart from each other so that there was like this path down the middle. And no doubt there was a lot of blood involved. And after they'd done this, they made their agreement and walked together between the rows of dead critters. Of course, I'm getting ahead of myself about why they did that, because that's for next week. And that's also why next week is going to be a huge lesson about what Jesus did for us and why this was the very moment that God decided to promise it to Abram. That's the why behind God telling Abram to get those animals and the why about Abram knowing what to do without being specifically told. This wasn't strange to Abram. This was how people during his time made the most important promises of all. And no one did it unless they were very, very serious. But I want you to remember that Abram is still having a vision where he can see the word of the Lord. The vision isn't over. No one else can see what's going on. I mean, 
people would have totally noticed him up in the middle of the night cutting and hauling around critters. Let's go back to last week's lesson real quick. The word of the Lord had come to Abram in a vision inside his tent at night and then took Abram outside to look at the stars? But why? Because God was promising Abram that he would actually be the father of a baby at last and that he wouldn't have to worry about adopting an adult like Eliezer of Damascus to take care of himself and Sarai when they got older. And not only that, but someday Abram's descendants would be too many to count. And Abram believed God, and that changed everything in their relationship. In fact, it's the reason why God makes this strange announcement. I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land of Canaan. And the first time I read that, I was like, is this supposed to be news or something? Well, of course this is the same God, but why is he even bothering to say it? Well, there are actually a few important reasons. Do you remember Abram and the king of Sodom? Abram wouldn't take any of the loot from the battle because he didn't want to make it look like he'd gotten anything from anyone except God. And that was an important step up in his relationship with God, trusting God to give him everything he needs and wants. And now that Abram also trusts God to give him a baby, God's making an important statement about who he is, and it isn't something that Abram would have just assumed or taken for granted. In the ancient world, people believed in a great many gods. Not only did a single person have many gods that they worshipped, but they also believed that different countries had entirely different gods in charge of them. The Egyptian sun god Ra was not the same guy as the Mesopotamian sun god Shamash or especially the Hittite sun goddess Arina. They did the same job, but they each did it differently, and they were more like people doing the same job in big factories for entirely different companies. Let's say that Arina is putting ice cream into cartons for Ben and Jerry's in Boise, while Shamash is also putting ice creams in cartons, but he's doing it in Pittsburgh for Haagen-Dazs. And Ra is doing the same thing in Orlando for Briars. Same job, different people, different places, different ice cream. Like different kings and queens of different countries. That's how the whole god and goddess thing worked in their brains in the ancient world. It wasn't until the Greeks came along over a thousand years later that they would convince people that Everyone had just been worshiping their gods all along. And so when God called Abram, he never told Abram that he was the only God there was. I mean, that would have made no sense at all to Abram or anyone else. Gods and goddesses were how they explained everything that happened in the world. God also didn't tell the children of Israel that he was the only God either. What he said to Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the others was that they needed to follow him and only him and not to get in his face with other gods. Now, we know that nowadays, that there aren't any other gods at all. 
but we also understand that God created the world so perfectly that it runs without needing to be taken care of by little gods in charge of every little thing. The sun doesn't need any help doing what it needs to do. And no one needs to open windows in the sky to make it rain. God is a master designer and builder, and it all just works. He doesn't need any help at all. By the time of Jesus, they understood this, and even a lot of pagans were beginning to figure it out. But there are still many people today who believe that there are many thousands of gods. Not because they're silly or aren't smart, but because that's what they were raised to believe. So when God tells Abram, I'm the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give to you the land of Canaan. He's telling Abram that he's only been dealing with one God this entire time and not many. And that might have surprised Abram. In Abram's world, the same God who would give people land wouldn't be the God who blessed their livestock or gave them children. But the God who did all of those things for Abram and protected him while he traveled was just one God. Now, we think that's normal, but Abram didn't. That's one thing. God is telling Abram that he is Abram's one and only source for everything that Abram needs. And if you've ever read about the giving of the Ten Commandments, what God tells Abram sounds a lot like what he said to Moses. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, away from the place where you lived as slaves. And that's very important because when God said that to the children of Israel in the wilderness, he was making a covenant with them, a forever promise and agreement to be their God no matter what. In fact, whenever God says, I did such and such for you, he's calling them back to remember that he is their God and they are his people and they'd better listen carefully and obey him. Just like with Moses and the children of Israel at Sinai, God's going to make a covenant with Abram and this is his introduction to it. Abram understands this because it was an important part of his world and even though he's been trusting and obeying God since Genesis 12 when he left his family, now God's finally going to bless Abram with a forever promise that can't be taken back. And so when Abram asks God, Lord God, how can I know that it will belong to me? Well, it might seem as though he isn't trusting God, but the truth of the matter is that Abram is asking for a permanent promise and a forever agreement between the two of them. Abram isn't just asking God to swear like a pinky promise that he isn't lying. Abram's telling God that he is willing to follow, trust, and obey God for the rest of his life and to teach his children to do the same. Abram is promising that everyone in his household will obey God too and that everything Abram has and does will always be totally devoted to God. And this is a big promise. This means that Abram belongs to God completely and not to any other gods. It means that when there's a famine and no food, God is the only one Abram will ask for help. That was a really big decision to make in those times, even though it seems obvious to us now. 
And this is why God wasn't the slightest bit angry when Abram asked. Instead, God told Abram exactly what to do so that there would be a covenant promise between the two of them forever. This is what God wanted. And remember, even though Abram is still having a vision, doesn't mean that this isn't absolutely real. Abram would have been so excited about this. After all, gods in his world didn't do anything like this with humans. They did what they wanted, when they wanted, and they lied and broke promises. And who's even to stop them or hold them responsible or punish them for it? The gods they believed in were just as bad as humans and even worse because they had like superpowers. They couldn't be trusted. So when Abram believed God and trusted him, that was a really big deal. Only a completely foolish person in the ancient world would trust one of the gods of the nations. They were messed up, selfish, cruel, and not always the most intelligent beings in the universe. God credited this belief to Abram as righteousness because it meant that Abram was believing that our God is entirely different than the other gods worshipped by the nations. That was a huge compliment. God doesn't force us to believe him, but he does spend a lot of effort to prove to us how wonderful and trustworthy he is. And now Abram trusts God so much that he wants to be with him forever instead of just trying to keep him happy while avoiding him, which is how the other gods were worshipped. And so God told Abram to get all those critters and to cut them in half and to make a pathway between them. And Abram waited for God. Because the whole point of this kind of thing was for the two of them to walk through the pieces of the animals together. So Abram was waiting for God to make the first move. And he waited and waited. And then the birds showed up to try and eat the critters. Abram kept shooing them away. And still he waited and never gave up. What was going to happen next? Will God show up as a person and walk through the animals with Abram? Will they say to each other, if either one of us breaks the promise between us that the land of Canaan will belong to Abram, may what happened to these animals happen to whoever breaks the promise? Abram certainly didn't want to be cut in half. That was Abram's half of the forever promise. Now the prophet Jeremiah talked about another time when God's people made this exact same kind of promise to him and how seriously God takes promises like this. It happened during the days when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was attacking the city of Jerusalem. You see, the rich and powerful people in Jerusalem were holding their own people as slaves when they were forbidden to do that. It wasn't allowed. God allowed the very poor people to sell themselves as slaves for only six years so that they could survive when they were going through difficult times. But they had to be set free on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, after six years. They weren't really slaves, but more like hired workers, and they couldn't be treated badly because they were God's people. God had freed them from slavery to the Egyptians, and no one was allowed to ever make them slaves again. But the people had become terribly wicked, and they'd filled God's temple with idols, and they were worshiping the gods of all the other nations along with, you know, the sun, moon, and stars too. They no longer cared about God or about his covenant with them, and they were even worse than the nations around them. So God was going to kick them out 
of the land of Israel to teach them a lesson so that they would come back and obey him like Abram did. God had spent many hundreds of years warning them and pleading with them to do what was right and to love him and one another, but the more he blessed them, the worse they got. But when the people became terrified of the Babylonian army, they decided to make God a promise that they would release all of their Jewish slaves. All of the leaders and rulers and government officials and everyone who had Jewish slaves took these animals and they cut them in half. They walked through them and swore to God that they would set all Jewish slaves free. And they did this at the temple of God. And they would have said, if we go back on our promise to you, O Lord, may what happened to these animals happen to us. And they set their slaves free. And God heard them and made Nebuchadnezzar and his army go away because he was very happy that they were finally going to do what was right. But when those little stinkers felt safe again, they went back to where their former slaves were living and forced them to come back and serve them all over again. And this is what God told the prophet Jeremiah to say to them. I made a solemn covenant to your ancestors at Mount Sinai after I saved them from slavery in Egypt. I said, if anyone is poor and has to sell himself to you as a slave, you have to set him free after six years. But they didn't obey me and in fact, they ignored me. Today, you turned away from being evil and you actually did what I wanted you to do and it made me very happy. You set your brothers and sisters free from having to serve you as slaves, and you even did it in my house, in my temple. But now you've insulted me and changed your minds, and you've enslaved them all over again instead of allowing them to go home. And so because you didn't do what I told you to do for my people, oh, I'm going to set you free. And you won't have my protection from Nebuchadnezzar and his armies anymore. People will be so shocked by what is going to happen to you when I let you get treated like all the other places he's conquered. And for the people who were the ones who cut those animals in half in my temple and swore to obey me, they'll be treated just like those animals by the Babylonians, and I won't do anything to stop it. The Babylonians will kill some, and they'll make slaves of others. I am calling the Babylonians back from where I sent them and they will destroy everything. Wow. God doesn't like slavery or any other way that people hurt each other. He hates it when the rich and powerful take advantage of the people who aren't. And everything happened just like he said it would. But God took care of the poor and those who had been used and abused as slaves. In fact, when the Babylonians finally took over the city and burned it to the ground and captured all the leaders and took them away to Babylon, they left the poor on their land to farm it and care for it. So the rich lost everything and the poor got to keep it. The leaders never saw their homes again while the people they had forced into slavery never had to leave God's land at all. When God did that, he was sending them and also all of us a strong message that even when we don't keep our promises to do what's right, he will. The rich and powerful didn't set those people free, but God sure did. 
It was promised in his very own temple that they would be released. And so God himself had to make sure that it happened. Pretty cool, eh? Now, of course, Abram would have been deeply ashamed if he knew how wicked his descendants would become, how cruel and how completely they became like all the people and the nations around them. Abram originally came from Babylon himself before it was even called Babylon. He knew what those people were like. And now Abram was living among the Canaanites. When we get to the book of Leviticus and even later on in Genesis, we're going to find out what those people did to each other and how differently God's people were commanded and expected to live. God wasn't asking them to do anything particularly difficult except to trust him and to only be good to one another. It's when people stop loving God and each other that all the problems happen. And it's wrong to hate people who don't know any better, but we have to make sure that we don't start thinking that the selfish and cruel things people do to each other are okay just because they're normal. God is incredibly forgiving. And we see that in how he treated the Israelites even when they were becoming more and more wicked. He still loved them. He still tried to get through to them with his prophets. He sent them signs and wonders to get their attention. Sometimes he let their enemies defeat them so they would remember how much better things were when they were obeying God. It's not that much different than what good parents do when their kids are in trouble. Sometimes we have to punish and give consequences, and sometimes we have to step back and let bad things happen so that our kids will learn from experience not to do certain things. Some of the hardest times in my life have been when my kids haven't been behaving like they should, and sometimes they've gotten into huge trouble. And when that happened, I didn't try to get them out of trouble. I had to help them learn how to live with the trouble they'd cause, and try to make it right again. But I never hid what they'd done because I knew that if they didn't learn their lesson, that they would do even worse in the future. God has to do that too. We need God to guide us and not protect us all the time. Of course, he really does protect us a lot. But when we do things that are really wrong, he has to let us pay the price for it. Not only so that we learn not to do it again, but so that the people around us can learn too. Abram got kicked out of Egypt during a famine because he lied. Lot lost everything when Sodom was destroyed, even though God did save his life. Jacob and his mother Rebekah suffered because of the lie they told Isaac, and they were separated from over 20 years for each other. Jacob suffered because he had a favorite child. And Joseph suffered as a slave and a prisoner because he wasn't kind to the sons of his father's lowest-ranking wives. Moses suffered because he made himself look like he was a magician in the desert, bringing water out of a rock without God's help. Nadab and Abihu, the priests, they died because they treated God badly in his own tabernacle. David suffered a lot and lost many of his sons because of his own terrible sins. And we know about all of this because God gave these stories to us in the Bible to read about so that we could understand that God doesn't let his favorites get away with sinning just because he's used them to do great things. Not everyone in the Bible who suffers has done something to deserve it. 
But God sees everything even when it seems like he's ignoring it. Just like those people who were forced back into being slaves and who were given the whole land of Canaan to farm whatever part they wanted. God has a way of turning things around. And if it doesn't happen in the here and now, then he promises it will happen in the world to come when Jesus comes back and is king over us. People who had it good here and hurt others will not even be allowed into God's holy city. The people who had very little but were faithful and good with it will be put in charge of a lot more. Everything will be fair and good and we won't have to worry about evil people being in charge anymore. It'll be perfect, just like God wanted in the beginning. I love you. I'm praying for you. And when times are difficult and life is unfair, I want you to remember what happens here isn't the end of the story. It's just the beginning.